Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans, to chapter 4. We'll take up where we left off with verses 9 through 12. Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Hear the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we have heard your voice in the reading of the scriptures. Father in heaven, help us to have open ears to receive the exposition. Lord, protect us from false doctrine, our own misunderstanding and wandering minds and hearts. O Father in heaven, help us to see Christ and his glory and to know the wonder of our salvation better this morning as we worship around our open Bibles. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Here we come again to chapter 4. And Paul is once again writing to the diverse church in Rome. And specifically the topic that's been on his heart revolves around the question of how it is that a person may be justified or declared righteous before the face of the holy God. And friends, that may be the very most important question that needs to be answered by the hearts of every man, every woman, and every child. How may I be righteous before God? The question of justification. And so as he writes, he wants us to know, and has already talked about this, simply that we are counted righteous by our faith in Christ. He has used Abraham as an example of this, that Abraham was counted righteous before the face of God because of his faith. Not because of his works, because if he was counted righteous because of his works, it would have simply been his due. He's also pointed to great King David, and he has said, even David knew this and described this righteousness, which is by faith, whenever he wrote, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not 
count his sin. He has said repeatedly again and again, we are counted righteous before God by faith. And one of the reasons this is so important to him and why he repeats it again and again, and he'll continue to pursue this in chapter 4 and through other parts of the book of Romans, is that this was a debate in his day, just as it is in our day. In fact, if you think back uh, to the book of Acts, chapter 15, you may be familiar uh, with this language, that there were some men who came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And the book of Acts tells us, and after that, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas were then appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And that question about circumcision and salvation How a person can be counted righteous before God was the topic of the first council of the church, the council of Jerusalem. And so Paul takes this up again in this passage of scripture and he asks us, is it faith plus circumcision or is it faith alone? And so this morning, three points I want us to see from the passage of Scripture are in verses 9 and 10, the first, that justification is by faith alone. Justification is by faith alone, verses 9 and 10. The second, in verse 11, sacraments work by faith. Sacraments work by faith. And then in verse 12, Abraham is the father of the faithful. Abraham is the father of the faithful in verse 12. Serious questions demand authoritative answers, don't they? Especially something this serious, something this large, something this important. Something that asks the question, how may I stand before God without being consumed by his wrath because I am a sinner? That's enormous. This is a question that divides heaven and hell, reconciliation or being an enemy of God. And so whenever Paul takes up this question, this serious question, he appeals where? Well, to the authority of the scriptures. Not only to the scriptures, but he appeals directly to some of the most familiar and indisputed texts. Friends, have any of you ever had a biblical or a theological debate. I've had way too many and way more than I care to admit. How are they best settled? Is it by a better argument? Is it by a better grip of logic? Though that is such an important thing to have a logical mind. Or is it better that they simply be demonstrated by Scripture? That's what Paul understands. He says simply this. I could make a philosophical argument with them. We understand that Paul's a brilliant mind. I've already called him one of the greatest minds of antiquity. And I think if you read the book of Romans and others of his writing, you would generally agree with me that Paul 
is not just educated, but he's a very intelligent man. But he understands that if he wants to penetrate the mind and the heart to touch upon spiritual things, that it must be from the word and the word clearly understood. From indisputable texts of scripture. And so we enter into another portion of his argument. And in verse 9, he asks this question. Is this blessing or the blessing of being accounted righteous by faith? Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? And why does Paul pivot there? After all, he's been telling us about the blessing of justification and quoting the Psalm of David. But why does he now then turn to circumcision? It's because he's thinking about the minds of his hearers and his readers. Again, I want to tell you, he's like a good chess player. He's thinking one, two, three, four, five moves ahead. He is logical, but it's a sanctified logic, and he thinks that, well, when people hear him talk about this, and as he's already given the, you know, the example of the great man, the father of the faith, Abraham, and he's also given David, that people will say, well, okay, we understand. It makes good sense. Those great men had to have faith in God, otherwise, what's the point? But Paul... They had faith because they were circumcised. Don't you know that, Paul? Their faith was the result of circumcision in the flesh of their foreskin. It's something downstream from an act that was done to them, specifically from this sacrament of the Old Testament, the sacrament of circumcision. And so Paul knows who he's speaking to. He knows his audience, and as he's touched upon Abraham and he's touched upon David, he has to touch upon once more this very sincere place that is a place of fortitude and safety and identity and spiritual fidelity for the people of Israel and definitely also for Jewish Christians, especially here in the church in Rome, circumcision. This plain thing, this thing that was graven in their flesh a sign of the grace of God. And as he's anticipated this and asked the question, because he wants us all to think about this, he gives the partial answer. And in the second portion of verse 9, he quotes Genesis 15, verse 6 again. We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness he there again insists upon the principle of the faith of Abraham but I want you to understand that whenever Paul says we say that faith is counted to Abraham as righteousness he's not just saying we is in some sort of plural singularity it's not just his authority that we Mr. Paul in the apostolic office say that Abraham was accounted as righteous because of his faith. But rather when he says this, we say, he is saying, we all know. We all agree upon this. We all think the Bible's clear 
about this. We all know Genesis 15.6. We all understand Genesis 15.6. We all agree that Abraham was accounted as righteous by faith. Don't we? Don't we? And so what's Paul doing? He's pressing their minds to the testimony of the scriptures once again. And now that the mind of his reader, the mind of the Jewish Christian, the ancient Roman church member, now that they're thinking on this and they're saying, yes, of course, of course Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. He says, now that I've got you there, in verse 10, let me ask you a second question. I want you to continue with me and I want you to ask this, how then was it counted to him? Was he righteous before or after he'd been circumcised? And then he answers the question, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. Students of the Bible, do you know the Bible's order here? Genesis 15, 6, Abraham is said to have been accounted as righteous by faith. But when does circumcision come? When does circumcision come? Squeeze the brain cells. Remember back to the Sunday school days of your youth, to your private study. When is that? What's well, two chapters later? It's in chapter 17. And now if you're reading the Bible, you say, wow, two chapters, that's not so far. I can read two, three, four, five chapters within 30 minutes, depending on how good of a reader you are. But do you understand the space of time between chapter 15 and chapter 17? Modern scholars think it is at least, at a minimum, 14 years. According to rabbinic and Jewish figuring, in the first century and still today, they would have said probably around 29 years between this time where Abraham is counted righteous for his faith and then the time in chapter 17 where God gives him the sign, this sacrament of circumcision in his flesh. That's a long time. And so Paul is again pointing them to the logical and plain order, the chronological order of the Bible, and he is showing them clear evidence of what he's saying. Was it before? Was he righteous before he was circumcised? Or was it after he was circumcised? And any simple sensible reader of the Bible would simply say, well, he was called righteous before circumcision was ever even mentioned or invented and given by the hand of God. It's clear. It's understandable. It's theologically evident in the Scripture. And so, Christian, I want to say one thing that's a little unrelated, at least to the substance of Paul's argument. If you do find yourself teaching doctrine to other people, having a doctrinal, theological, biblical debate, make your points from the scripture, make it clear, so that even if they disagree with you, they can simply walk away and say, well, there it is, I don't like it and I don't want to believe it. 
Make it clear from the word of God. You don't have authority. God's word does. That's one thing I want to say to you this morning. Because I fear all too often that Christians, reformed Christians, engage in doctrinal dispute and debate on their own authority or ability to bend words or minds or wills rather than the word of God. Be biblical about this. But why is he pointing to this again? It's because Paul wants to show them from the word of God and to say loudly that justification is by faith alone. Abraham was counted righteous by his faith and he hadn't even heard the word of circumcision yet and wouldn't for a decade, maybe two in the future. Justification is by faith alone, not by good works, not by a holy lineage. Not by association with a nation. Not even by sacrament or church membership. Justification is by faith alone. Nothing else is necessary and nothing else is sufficient. And you may say to me, okay, pastor, we get it. We're in this ancient context. We followed you. We've heard this for some weeks now. And again... Stuttgart isn't Rome. What hath Stuttgart to do with ancient Rome? I don't know if any of you, maybe you could correct me and tell me after the service, but have any of you been converted to Christianity from Judaism? Not me. I was raised by Christians in a Christian church, generationally a Christian for not just 100 years, but probably somewhere in the neighborhood of seven, 800 years in the course of my family. This piece is hard to relate to. But this simple truth that justification is by faith alone is as relevant to the ancient Roman church as it is you today. Why? It's because some people struggled. They wanted to simply say that they were saved by faith plus circumcision. Faith plus circumcision for some They wanted to say that equals salvation. What is it today? Well, people would say faith plus a lot of things, wouldn't they? And maybe even accidentally, you yourself have entertained this in the practical unfolding of your Christian life. And so I want to warn you today to avoid faith plus anything, but specifically something like faith plus devotion. I believed in Jesus, and then I lived a holy life, and the way that I know that I'm right with God, it's because I believed in Jesus, and I had my morning quiet time every day. I was faithful. That's false teaching. Nothing less than faith plus circumcision. I want to warn you against faith plus the sacraments. I believed in Jesus and then I was baptized by faith. How can I know that I'm going to get into heaven? How can I know that I'm going to be reconciled to the God of glory? 
Well, I believed and was baptized. Or to the covenant children in the room. My mom and dad believed I was baptized, raised in the household of faith, and I believed. I was baptized and I believed an eighth-day Presbyterian. I also want to warn you against faith plus sacraments. I believed and I took the Lord's Supper. I prepared. I received it. The bread. I, I received the wine and I enjoyed it and I communed. I want to warn you about that. And I want to warn you about this. I believed and I lived a holy life. Faith plus holiness. I believed and so I cleaned up my speech. I obeyed the law. I was holy as the Lord my God is holy. I want to warn you against that. And I also want to warn you against faith plus whatever. Because frankly, I know that you and I are very much more original in our sins and in the darkness of our hearts than we would ever want to admit. No, friends, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone that is all that is required. For thus by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. It is good to have devotion. It is good and necessary for a Christian to receive the sacraments. It is good and necessary for a Christian to live in holiness and to grow in sanctification. But these things do not save you. And your hope must not be placed in them. Because let me simply say, you're going to fall off the wagon of your devotion. And you're going to enter into a dark valley into the caves of the soul of life, and you're going to simply say, well, I haven't kept my devotion three days, three weeks, three months, three years. I'm dark and in a dark place. And if all of your, all of your hiding place, all of your assurance in Christ is just based on your keeping of a devotion rather than simply by faith in Jesus, you're going to be let down. If it's by your ability to keep the sacraments or feel the sacraments or think that you've benefited from the sacraments, so on and so forth, you will eventually find yourself sitting at the table or watching a baptism and wondering to yourself, is this yet another repetition? And then the next thing will simply be, am I really saved? That's not where your salvation is founded, but by faith or holiness. God commands us to be holy as he is holy. The Bible is unambiguous about this. This is the hallmark of the Christian life. The evidence of having been saved. But the reality is, is that until we are in glory, we are sinners who are being made more and more holy in life by the killing of sin. And let me say, if you rest your assurance on your own holiness you're going to get disappointed. I don't know about you. If that's a surprise to you, then you're very different than me. 
I regularly repent. I regularly see my sin and feel reminded of my unholiness. But I just want to call this to your attention once again, Christian, that faith and faith alone is how we're accounted righteousness before the Father. It's that faith in Jesus, that faith in His holiness, His devotion, His righteousness, in His keeping of the law, in His obedience. It's faith in Him and Him alone that is sufficient to help us to stand before the face of God, a people righteous. Justifications by faith alone. In verse 11, Paul continues, and he describes the relationship between sacraments and justification, or sacraments and faith. And so the second point, that the sacraments work by faith. You see, Paul, he's very careful, okay? And you may think that up until this point we're, we're, we're pushing down and we're, we're cheapening or we're against circumcision. But that's not what Paul has said at all. If you read him as he writes, uh, he understands that we need to rightly handle circumcision. But that circumcision is yet a gift of God. In verse 11 he says, he, it's Abraham, he received the sign of circumcision... And he describes it as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And so the thing I want to tell you, firstly, is that Paul is not against sacraments. He's not against the sacrament of circumcision, a sign and a seal of what he had received through faith. He's not against circumcision. He's just against it being the grounds of your salvation. He's not saying it has no use. He's saying it does not save. That's what he's saying. Same thing with baptism. He's of course not against baptism. But he would teach it does not save. It is a sign and a seal. And so let's talk about these two things he says regarding Abraham's reception of circumcision. He received the sign. It's a sign. You hear me say this all the time in this church. When we have a baptism, it's a sign and a seal. You hear me explain that when we're at the table just last week. This is a sign and a seal. And you've heard me explain it again and again. Well, when we think about signs and we think about sacraments, specifically we think about circumcision that Abraham received, it makes me ask the simple question, well, a sign, but in, in what sort of way? A couple of weeks ago, I was on a trip with my sons, my two oldest boys. We left Owen with Elise for the sake of sanity. And we were going to Bomberg. If you've never been to Bomberg, you should go. It's a beautiful city, just like so many in this country. But it's like two and a half hours if there's no Audubon construction. Not a stow in sight. And you know, as I know, if you've ever driven on the Audubon, that's just not reality. So it's three hours. Three hours in a car with two little boys, and they're in the back seat. And what do children do? Are we there yet, Dad? Are we there yet? Are we there yet, Dad? Are we there yet? And with every passing kilometer and mile, I see a sign one after another. Eventually, I'm in Bayern, where Bomberg is, the state where it's homed or housed, or however you want to call it. And then I begin to see signs. Bomberg, 100 kilometers away. 
Well, that looks better. We're getting there. We're almost there. And in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, I'm ready to pull over now. Can we just pass the sign and pull in right off the side of the road? We'll be in Bomberg. But that's not the reality. The sign is pointing to another thing. The sign is is itself not Bomberg. And so the boys ask me again, Dad, how far? How far are we from Bomberg? Well, we're about 100 kilometers. And Haddon says, well, Dad, I don't know what a kilometer is. I say, I know, American, you don't know it. It's a long way. 50 kilometers on the next sign, 50 kilometers to Bomberg. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, can we get there already? Haddon's saying, are we there? We're there yet. Haddon, uh, Benjamin, we're, we're, we've already arrived. And I say, no, it's just the sign. The sign's not the thing. We're not there yet. 20 kilometers, 10 kilometers, 5 kilometers. We there yet? No, we're not there yet. We pull into the city. You see the spires. Sons, we are here. We have reached the glory land of Bomberg. The sign is not the thing. But it points to something. And the sign is doing what? It's saying, this way, you're almost there. It's sure. It's ahead. You're going to reach it. The same thing goes on in the sacraments. You see, this was a sign of the righteousness that Abraham had by faith and the sign in the flesh of his foreskin. He was to look at his body, his own flesh, and simply be reminded that God had given him righteousness that wasn't his own. So whenever Abraham failed in sin, he was to look and to see And know that even though he lacks obedience, there is one who has been obedient for him. Whenever he felt overwhelmed with the grief and the guilt of his sin, he was to look at the sign in his flesh and be reminded that he has another who has taken the guilt for him. He has a Savior to look to. And so it's a sign. And that's how sacraments work. They don't give righteousness But they hold up this wonderful sign that says, Righteousness is yours if you'll have it by faith. And then it's a seal. That's the second thing he says. That he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Notice the order. You know, if you seal something, if you were, for instance, to write a letter to somebody and and you've, you've written it, you've placed it in the envelope, you've closed it, and maybe you're really fancy and you've got some of that letter wax, right? And you take it and you light it and it gets real nice and it's dripping and you take and you put it, your stamp in it, it looks really cool, it's sealed, right? And you say, all right, this is ready to be taken off, this is going to say that it's from me and to you, a nice greeting when the person opens the letter. There's something of that here. But the seal... I mean, the, the, the seal's not the letter. The seal's also not the greetings that are contained in the letter, are they? Rather, that seal is authenticating that it came from the source. And there's something of that in circumcision and in sacraments more generally. The seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Circumcision did not itself give him righteousness. Only it made testimony That what he had by faith was real, true, genuine, secure. And so Paul is careful about the order. Sacraments work by faith. That's his whole point. 
He already had righteousness by faith and the sacrament showed it forth. In verse 12, we see the third point that Abraham is the father of the faithful. Kids, how many of you were in kids ministry this week? My two are out of the room. Anybody want to raise a hand? A couple of you? Yes. We talked about Father Abraham, didn't we? And then you got to see your pastor do a really foolish dance to go along with it, right? Or we were flapping our arms and nodding our head and all that kind of stuff. We talked about Father Abraham. Well, the Bible's talking about Father Abraham. And specifically, we talked about a, a unique thing about Abraham. That God gave him a promise. Any of the kids remember what the promise talked about? Talked about his children. Right? His offspring. And the promise said that he would have more children than are in the, than the stars in the sky above. And then more than could be counted than the grains of sand on the seashore. We had a whole illustration with a jar of sand and tried to get them to count it and things like that. Well, here what we have is Paul describing Abraham's relationship with circumcision and with the church and the purpose of God in it. You see, what we read in the very ending of um, of verse 11 is that the purpose of all of this was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteous would be counted so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of faith. And so he's saying the whole point of this, the reason why God ordered chapter 15 of Genesis before chapter 17, why Abraham's faith preceded his being circumcised was to stand as a clear example. To stand as a clear example to every single person that would ever have faith that their faith or their being right with God, it's not because they received circumcision or any sign or did anything, but rather that if they would be made right with God, it would only be through faith. Simple. And he's saying, there's Abraham, this whole thing. What's the whole relationship of Abraham to all of the people who will ever have faith? He's the first example. He's the father. He's the one over the household to whom the children look. It's as simple as that. And it's as if he's saying to these ancient Jewish Christians in the Roman church, friends... He's only really your father if you believe. And friends, if any of you do believe and have never been circumcised, if you didn't grow up with a mom or a dad or a grandmother or a grandfather that knew and loved Jesus in the household of faith, if you didn't grow up in the synagogues, if you didn't grow up at the temple, he could still be your father. If you would have faith in Christ, you still have this lineage. You still have this testimony if you would believe on Christ for salvation. 
Abraham is the father of the faithful. Friends, do you believe in Christ? Let me call you to faith this morning. Is your faith in Christ plus other things? Or is it simply Christ alone plus nothing? Let me encourage you to put your faith in him and in him alone. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Father, give us understanding. Lord, help us to keep these things in our minds and in our hearts. So, Lord, protect us from our worst inclinations. Oh, Lord, may Christ be all in all. Oh, Father, may our faith in him be true. Father in heaven, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.